With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I love the city I've been browsed. Treading water that they drown. I head on a swivel. Yeah. It's only really my surroundings. Hello and welcome to episode 133 of the Smash Accept Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at DynastyDadFF. If you were following me at Dynasty underscore DadFF, let's switch it over. You know, got rid of the underscore. Uh, guys, by popular demand, last week we had an absolute fantastic podcast talking about pre-combine with uh, my man Dynasty Zoltan. We hit it ahead where we were saying Richardson's going to move into that next tier. So many different things. If you guys haven't heard that, go back and check it out. I know I kind of already stole the thunder by saying he's in there, but welcome back to the show again. My man, Mike Jirai, Dynasty Zoltan himself. Hey man, how's it going? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be back and I, I hope everyone listened to last week because you would have known that the 106 is going to have a crazy amount of value and all I saw after the combine was everyone talking about the 106. If you listened to our podcast last week, you would have known that on Thursday and gotten that leg up on your competition. And I made three trades to do it. You know, I was I gave up a late second from 108 and the guy's like, this is a great class. You're foolish. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I, I think I might might know a little bit what might happen here, you know, and it was like, and we're going to get into startup ranks in a little bit, but one Oh six, that's, that's going to be a top, top 40 pick maybe in right. drafts now, as of right now, like the current ADP that we put together for smash, except, you know, at the one Oh six is going around pick four Oh nine. That ain't going to last. And the pick one Oh eight is going around six Oh nine. So, I mean, it was like a matter of moving up, Given a second round pick, I mean, there's a huge difference between some of these rookie picks. And we're going to get into that. We just did an entire podcast on Smasher Pass, really talking about the rookie pick or the player value. But what I want to talk about, you know, and I want to pick your brain because we did a, a fantastic pod a couple months back talking about that year one punt. And I think so many people, we talk about it, they don't have a game plan going into the draft. And yes, you have to be fluid. But talk to me about your initial game plan because I think. You and I right now, and I, I've really adapted a lot of your style in, in how I've drafted because I used to be a win now dad. You know, I was like, yo, I might not live to be 50, so I got to get some cash. But, you know, there is a way to come out of your startup where, you know, you don't have to win year one, but it's going to be fruitful. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and the, the best way to do that is to target players who you know are undervalued for one reason or another. Now, the top the top ways that a player could be undervalued are they are injured or suspended, so they're not going to be playing. They were in a really poor context last season, so looking at guys like Drake London, or there's potential that they'll be in bad context for next season. So that's the number one thing that I'll do or target those types of players. But the way to do that is with trading back. So mm-hmm. I, I think the key in these drafts is you're not looking to give up picks. Like I'll let people ask me, should I give up a mid-fourth rounder for a 24 first? You know, looking where the 23 picks are up 
Uh, you know, th that would be a good value next year on average. That's not the way to do it because now you lost that pick altogether and you lost any upside that you would get. Instead, mm -hmm. what you need to do is you need to move your third rounder for a fifth rounder and a 24 first. Absolutely. The guy in the fifth round who might have been the guy you would have taken in the third or has at least as much upside and you're getting on a 24 first for free. Yeah, speaking of 24 first, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Andrew Edwards, 17. My man's got nine firsts in Smash mm -hmm. 8 startup. You know, he, he broke he broke my record of seven. Uh, to your point there, though, it's like, I think we need to look at first, what is a 24 first worth? You yeah. know, because I feel like everyone now in their startups is like, oh, it's worth the same as 23 first. And no, it absolutely is not. Because if you look at it and you say, you know, my 24 first is worth, you know, X. So right now, like 110 is going in the sixth round. I'm comfortable paying. I, I, I feel like it's in that sixth to seventh round for me. But I'm seeing people selling their, 20, or their, their fourth rounder for 24 first. That's a 106 or 107 right now. That is, that is gonna hurt. You know, like if you have the ability to see a, you know, right now, 106 has got to be Jameer Gibbs or, or Jackson Smith and Jigba. He will be worth more than 124 first next year. Like, that's just where it is going to be. And I think people just get excited about that. Like, they just want to take that 24 first and buy a pick or sell a pick for that. And like, to your point, the way you insulate in a draft is you trade back. So, you know, you're at 108 and, and Jamar Chase is on the clock and you want to move back to 212 and get... Amon Ross St. Brown or Garrett Wilson and that 24 first, now you've insulated that. Now you've taken it to a point where I feel like Amon Ross St. Brown and Garrett Wilson both uh, you know, increase in value. And then you get a 24 first because not every class is going to be this way, but we've been talking about it for years. We're 23 first. We knew we're going to be worth top 50, 60 startup picks. Tell me a little bit about, by the time this is all said and done, how many guys out of this 23 class will be top four round picks? So it's going to be six automatically, and it might even be seven or eight. Uh, the way that it gets to seven or eight is if Addison or QJ goes to Kansas City uh, or Buffalo, mm -hmm. or if we see a guy like Charbonnet even go to Buffalo. Then, we, then we're going to see Charbonnet going, you know, where Najee Harris is going, which is basically the 412. Mm -hmm. um, looking at 2024, though, you know, I've, I've made a few straight-up trades, usually in the seventh round for a 2024 mm -hmm. first. At that point in the draft, we're at, you know, the 112 or the 201. That's where I'm comfortable just giving a pick straight up. Absolutely. Um, but you're right. I mean, 2024 is going to be valuable. We know there's at least three superstars in that draft with Marvin Harrison, uh, Caleb Williams, and uh, Drake May. So it, it's, it's going to be valuable if you get one of those top three picks. However, if someone trades their 2024 first, you have to think about what you're giving them. Especially, let's say you trade a fifth rounder straight up for them. In that fifth round, they can take a guy like, you know, Tony Pollard or Ramondre Stevenson or, you know, a DJ Moore. And they don't have their first. So you know they're going to go win now. Mm -hmm. It is very hard to acquire a 2024 first and have that be a top three pick because there's probably two or three people in your league tanking. Part of the way to avoid that issue is to do what your guy did in Smash Accept and acquire nine of them. And then some of them, I'm sure, are going to be pretty good. But in any single given trade, you have to think about you're giving this guy a leg up on the rest of your, the, the league. You're giving mm -hmm. them an extra, you know, startup pick, and they're going to be motivated to take older players. So right. you have to factor in it's probably going to be 107 or 108 uh, on the stronger side. So moving 106 this year for that pick, it just isn't worth it.
And I look at it the similar way that I do in a trade. When we're talking random trades, I say that's the 108 to 110 in my head. Because if it's a random pick and it becomes the 106, then I win. But if it's the 108, I broke even. You know, and I think a lot of people just try to over project those random first and try to make them a big deal. On the flip side of what you're saying, if you pay that 24 first for a seventh rounder, and let's say, you know, in that seventh round, you draft Derrick Henry, and Derrick Henry gets injured week three. He's worth nothing. He's going in that seventh round, and you lose, and it becomes the 103. The 103 next year, just like this year, will be a second-round startup pick in my estimation. I think Marvin Harrison and Caleb Wilson are going to be second- or third-round picks and and may as well in that same area. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, the reason why it's so good to acquire those 24 firsts is even though I just said, like you, you have to assume that they're playoff firsts, it is that upside, you know, mm-hmm. you have no way in the sixth round right now, if we're looking at who's going in the sixth round, there's no one there who is ever going to be top 24 in startup value. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I don't like, unless, you know, Christian Watson turns into Justin Jefferson, like there is basically no way to get top 20 value in that round. If you get a 24 first, it is possible that that's top three. So you have to think of that upside both when you're buying and when you're selling. So I wouldn't necessarily give up a 24 first for a fifth round startup pick just because then I have to go all in because otherwise I'm going to be giving up a good pick. So I don't like limiting my limiting myself by trading a 24 first. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you have to think when you're acquiring one that the team you're getting is probably going to win. So I think the trickiest part to me, and let's let's start out with the year one punt, because I Mm -hmm. I, I mean, that was a great podcast we did. If you guys haven't done it, (laughs) ask either of us to see some of our one-year punts because they're set up to win for the next like 10 years. No, it's not that bad, but I mean, like it is literally loaded and, and some of, some of Mike's really are what motivated me. Cause I was watching him do it and I'm like, dude, my man just drafted like 101 through 106 last year. And, and the biggest problem I have with people, they're looking at me right now and they're like, yo dad, that you just got a bunch of picks. Those picks can increase in value. Yeah. Your guys like, you know, we, we talk about Rashad White or Joe Mixon or Derek. They might go somewhere different. They might get more back, you know, like competition in there where the 106, the 107, these picks are only going to accumulate in value. And I think the trickiest part is trying to figure out where that is. So when you have a startup, I think the the place you can move back the most and make the most money and, and really get yourself set is if you have those top five picks. And I know it's really, really difficult. I mean, extremely difficult to move off of Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. You know, last year I was doing that and I was drafting Jalen Hurts and that's how I I made dominant teams. This year I traded back, I had just to give an idea, and I want you to talk a little bit about those quarterbacks and what you can get out of them versus the risk of giving them up. But I traded the 101 for the 111 and 112, moved around just a little bit and, and ended up getting Justin Fields and Jamar Chase by adding a second in there. So, you know, I gave up or a 24 first. So I gave up a 24 first in Josh Allen, but then ended up getting Jamar Chase and Justin Fields, who I think, you know, are, are locked and loaded in there. The tricky part I get into is so many people are like, well, what do I ask for? You know, where, how far do I move back? Like where, and to me, it's like, I'm willing to move back to Fields and Lawrence and maybe even Deshaun Watson, but I don't want to move back into that area where it's like after Dak Prescott, it becomes a no man's land where Trey Lance, Tua, and then no other quarterbacks till round six. Yeah. And and that's, what's really difficult. I mean, one thing I'll add is that with, with the rookie picks in the drafts, you do have picks two, three, and four, which will become quarterbacks. So Mm -hmm. those are added assets that you can get if you trade back, but I completely agree with you. I wouldn't be trading back 
the best asset that I get needs to at least be a second rounder. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm getting, let's say, let's say the guy with, uh, with the 206 wants my pick. I can get the 206 and the 307 and a 2024 first. I'm taking that for anyone, even Pat, mm-hmm. even the 101 Patrick Mahomes. Because then I can end up with the 102 and take the best quarterback in this draft. I can end up with, uh, you know, the a top six wide receiver. I can get Chris Olave or Drake London or Ramon Ross St. Brown, and I'm getting a 24 first. That's the type of value I'd be looking for. But in terms of what I really want to do is I want to trade back to the 107, 108 range because then I can get my Lamar Jackson, my Justin Fields like you were talking about because there's just not that big of a gap. So I I actually ran these numbers earlier today um, because I I got a question from one of my patrons about, you know, which of these top 12 quarterbacks to value. So Josh Allen over the last four seasons has averaged 24.9 points a game. Lamar Jackson's at 26.8. Kyler Murray is at 23.7. Justin Herbert's at 23.9. Dak Prescott's at 24.0. And Deshaun Watson, including this last year, is at 25.0. All of those guys are within a point of Josh Allen. And you can move back 10 spots, definitely get one of those guys, and add on a 24 first plus. That is the type of move you want to make because Josh Allen is never going to be more valuable than he is right now because it's literally impossible. He's the 101 or 102. Meanwhile, Deshaun Watson, he was going as the 103 last year, so he could easily be back there again. So you got to step back, look at some larger sample size numbers, and figure out you can give up 10 spots, 12 spots without giving up anything. And I think a lot of analysts out there, they say never sell Mahomes, never sell Josh Allen. And I don't think they're volume traders like like you and I are because yeah. they, they feel like that loses out immediately. But to your point, I feel like you get to a spot where if you can add that much onto Deshaun Watson, onto Dak Prescott, onto the 102, 103, I think that's where you really start to add some value. I only have ever owned Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow through the rookie draft. That's, yeah. that, that's it. Because if you invest startup wise that way, you're especially moving up. I mean, there's such, if you are paying that much, if you're giving a two, a three and a 24 first, you have holes in your team. You, yeah. you really do. And you're going to try to find ways to make it up. One thing that I like to do, and I did this in, in smash three was I moved from 101 to 108 and then moved from 108 to 212, added two sec, two first round picks, yeah. and then it, in that particular draft, I took Jalen Hurts. You know, so it was like yeah. Jalen Hurts and two first. Man, did that like pan out? But the 102, the 103, the 104, you're getting in that second round, early third round, and and Richardson has put himself into that tier now, where it's like you have three quarterbacks. Where I, I want to hear a little bit about your thought process because we talked about it last podcast. You know, Deshaun Watson and Dak are going around the same spot as the 102 and 103 and the 104 is in that same area as Trey Lance and and Tua and I think it's really there's some strategy to play in there would you rather have the 102 Dak and Watson or would you rather have the 104 Lance and and Tua so let's do both segments starting with the 102. Yeah so first of all you you talked about there's about you know a 15 to 18 pick gap right now between the two between the 104 and the 102. I expect that gap to disappear. Oh it's going to close. It's going to close because Everyone's going to have their preference, whether it's Stroud, Richardson, or Young. Some people are going to love even Gibbs or JSN up there. Mm-hmm. It's really going to close. So 
my number one piece of advice right now, if you had the 102, move back to 104, move back to 106. Mm -hmm. I always say my key to my fantasy success is not being picky, right? I'll have anyone on my team. I am fine with that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have my preferences between Young, Richardson, and Stroud. But ultimately, I know that even people who do this professionally, who have trained quarterbacks for the last 30 years, they get it wrong. So you can't have an ego and assume that you know who's going to be the best of those three. You should have a process. You should do the homework, absolutely. But step back for a minute and realize if you can get value from moving back, that's the way to do it. So and I'm, I'm, I'm right on board with you. I think they're going to fall within six picks of each other in the startup. I think the question I've been getting before was, how do I move from 104 to 102? And that was before Richardson was in that area, before they listened to our podcast and before the combine. Yeah. Now that, you know, now that there's three quarterbacks in that tier, you know, firmly in that area, what can you look to add moving from the 102 to the 104? You know, I've been telling people if you can get them, you know, 203 or yeah. 204, if you can get in that range, I'm, I'd be willing to move that way. But there's no, I think, all four, we're going to have four quarterbacks taken in the top 10. I think Will Levis is going to start to push himself up as well. But what would you need to move from 102 to 104 right now? So from 102 to 104, I mean, as I said, I'm not going to have a huge preference there. So if I can get an early second, like you were mentioning, which is going to turn into, you know, the tight end one or two of the class or the RB four or five of the class, I'm totally happy doing that. And and I, and I would make that trade. Um, what I would even look to do there is, give up, let's say 102 and my 24 second for someone's 104 and their 24 first. Mm -hmm. We talk about the first for second swap all the time. You can sell this to the guy as I got the 102. I'm not going anywhere. You're going to get the 202 from me next year. Your team's sick. You'll give me the 110 and it'll be a good trade for you. But you're getting all that upside because the best a second can be is 201. The best a first can be is 101, which is Mm -hmm. 10 times more valuable. So the other thing I had with that, that, we talked about it last week. There's that 109 is that we talk about 110 to 204 is nice, but 109 is going to be, that's going to be something special where I I was telling people, listen, if you can go from 102 to 104 and then change it from 109 to 204, you just went from the end of one tier to the end of another tier. You skipped a tier and then in your, in your first round pick with that 102 to 104, you're in the same tier, but then you move from 204 to 109. That's massive, but it doesn't seem like that to a lot of, you know, I don't want to say casual owners out there but it really it it doesn't feel that way but it really is yeah and and that that conversation about tears uh can bring me back to our startup discussion and and where the real move is to go into drafts so we talked about how those qbs are so valuable and what i would recommend is moving up into the first or the early second trying to get two of those qbs and you can move back later and it won't matter nearly as much so looking at my startup rankings I have from the 204 to the 310 in the same tier. That is massive. You could get a 24 first plus for moving from the 204 to the 310. So if you can move up in the first round and take that sacrifice in the second round, and and the thing that you want to do is you want to do this early. You want to do this before you're on the clock, before people see who's available. Because at the 204, right, you might get Brees Hall, who is your RB1, and that's great. But at the 310, you might get Kenneth Walker, Christian McCaffrey, or the 105, which is Mm -hmm. Jameer Gibbs. And listen, you might prefer one over the other, and maybe you should. But 
Again, you got to be not picky in this situation and think of all the extra value that you're going to get moving back in, in that range. Yeah, and worst case scenario, like the the mocks that we've been doing, it's Saquon Barkley in that area because Walker's been moving up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right there. And we were talking about that on the, on the last pod is for me, it's a move up early and then it's a move back late because what I want when I'm doing my startups, and I know you're the same way, is I want those two quarterbacks. I want those young elite wide receivers. That is really the way to win in Dynasty. You build around that and then you get your running backs in the rookie draft, you know, and you get those things. And even in this particular draft, I mean, if you went and you had your your two quarterbacks in the first round, round three, you go London, round four, you know, you, you move around and you try to get a lave. Then next thing you know, Round five, there's the 108. There's guys like Ramondre Stevenson. And then round six, I'm moving back. Because for me, after round six, it's like the difference between Chris Godwin at, at 605 and Jahan Dotson at 806. In my evaluation, is Chris Godwin's worth the 110 and Dotson's worth the 201. And people are not seeing that because it's three rounds. So take that situation. Move you know, try to move, sell your guy. You'd be like, Hey, I want to move from the fourth to the second. And I'm going to give you from the sixth to the ninth, two, two rounds here, three rounds there, or, or something in that area, really to frame your work around, to get those young elite wide receivers, to put yourself in a situation, to get the Wilsons, the Lundays, the Alaves, as opposed to trying to stretch for guys a little bit later. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and all that you're saying, it's, it's completely accurate. Like the last draft that I did People who went in the sixth round included Russell Wilson, Chris Godwin, David Njoku, and Jamison Williams. If we move back three rounds and look at the ninth round there, we have guys like Darren Waller, uh, Jahan Dotson, and Derek Carr going. Mm -hmm. So those are three guys at the same position. In, in what, October, those rankings could be reversed, right? Mm -hmm. Like those, quarterback, those quarterbacks, wide receivers could easily go above the guys going three rounds earlier than them. We, you just have to keep telling yourself – no matter all the work you do, you know less than you think you do. And that's why I'm always moving back. I'm always trying to get assets. One of the things that I do, because I track all my drafts very closely, is I say, how many more picks do I have by round X than I should? And my goal is always by round 10, I want to have made at least yep. 14 or 15 picks. Yeah. And that that's the goal. That's what you got to do because – some of your picks are going to bust. Some of them are going to get hurt. Some of them are going to go to jail. Like we just don't know at this point. So you got to insulate the value and just pick for upside by getting more and more picks in really the top 10 rounds is where the upside really exists. I don't, I'm right on. Like I don't feel successful unless I have at least 10 in those 12 picks, you know, and then because you're going to mostly you're going to start 10 guys. So if yeah. you get those amount of assets, you're in an area where you can, you know, you can package up post-draft. You can have that, that little bit of depth in there. And I think by the time you get past the 10th round, and I think what people don't really pay attention to is after that 10th round, they are the equivalent of maybe the 206 in a rookie pick or later. Yeah. So we were, we were talking about it before. It's like once you get to the 14th round, those guys are worth third rounders. Like they are literally, we're making some stabs at it. We're making some passes. And I think when I'm on the clock, I think this is something that people need to realize where you find your tier. So for, mm -hmm. for example, you know, I'm sitting there at, let's say 505 is Michael Pittman. You know, I'm sitting there at 505 and a guy wanted to make a trade up. And this is almost identical to how it went. I moved back to 512, did a 24-2-3 swap and got an 8-10 swap. So I moved my 10th round pick to an 8th rounder. I got another rookie pick. And in at, at that area, you can get Christian Watson. So you just moved, you're in the same tier but you moved that other pick earlier and you added those rookie picks. And I think 
I've seen you do that a ton of times where it's like when they're on the clock, everybody wants to win. If you are the person that can sit there and be patient and say, you know what, I'm going to move. I have no problem moving back 10 spots now to move up four rounds later, you know, and people are just hungry for those kind of picks. Tell me a little bit about how you navigate that. Cause I think until you do draft after draft after draft, people are like, well, and I get the offer where it's like, I want to move up to here and back to there. And that's just not how it works. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the key that I've found is documenting everything you do and then you can look back later. So I'm looking at a draft I did a few weeks ago and uh, I did one of these cascading trades that you were talking about. So I started I get all off excited with, when you when you when you use the lingo, man, insulations, oh, cascades. So I started off with the 207, right? I traded the 207 and the 807 for the 304 and the 504. Then I traded the 304 for the 309 and the 1004. Then I traded the 309 for the 409 and the 510. How that trade ended up happening is I moved the pick that became Christian McCaffrey for Travis Etienne, Trey Lance, and Tony Pollard. These are the types of trades where you just move back a little bit and all of a sudden, you know, it'll be the 15th round of the draft. Someone starts looking at all the teams. They're like, what the hell? How did your team get this stacked? Right? Like I did a similar trade there. I moved the 407, which became Stefan Diggs for the 507, the 707 and a 24 second. That became the 109, the 112 and a 24 second. No one's trading Stefan Diggs for two firsts in a second. Right. But before you put names to those picks, People are just like, shit, Stefan Diggs is the last great receiver on the board. I'm going to do what it takes to get him. So you really just, what I do is I map out, if I'm moving back 10 slots, I map out the worst case scenario. Who are the next 10 picks that could go, oh shit, I got sniped on every single one. And I say, even if this happens, I'll end up with the 109. And at the 707, worst case scenario, I'll end up with the 201. Is that worse, Stefan Diggs to me? Yes, it is. Okay, I'll do it. I love that because I mean I, I I think I shared it with you where I I, I did that seven times I cascaded back from like two o three, and I ended up making that particular pick worth four firsts and the one o eight and I, like people are like what do you how do you have all these and I'm like each time everyone wants to move up but it's not a matter of like just trading it straight out is moving from the 203 to the, the 308 and then moving from the 308 to the 505 and then moving that, you know, and then it just kept snowballing. And then when you set yourself up as that guy who's willing to move back, people come to you and they want to move back. And then they also assume that you know the market better than they do because I find so many people struggle with what that market value is from from novice leagues to straight up sharks. like. They're, they're trying to figure out what those values are, and we definitely have it for you guys in, in both of our Patreons, both in the Smash Patreon and in your Patreon as well, of like how to make these kind of moves, because I think people just struggle with it in general. And, and one thing I like to say, obviously it depends on the round, but I consider a fair trade, if you're, not, let's ignore future picks for the moment, just startup picks, you need between two to three round uh sorry two to three x multiple of what you're giving up so mm -hmm. if i'm moving back from pick let's say 20 to 30 i need to get 30 picks worth of value because i just gave 10 picks up in value absolutely and, th and those 30 picks need to happen between 30 and 60 right i can't move back from 120 to 150 right because that doesn't do anything so that's how i like generally look at things just to give a, a basis to it but 
it has to be way more specific than that. And you have to just map out every single offer you get, try to put names to the numbers. And just remember that if you're not picky and you're down to move back, like this one league I did, uh, I had the 607. I moved back to the 704 for a 24 second. And then I moved back to the 712 for another 24 second. And I ended up getting Nick Chubb at the 712. Now I'm punting this league. I'm not trying to win this league. Why am I taking Nick Chubb? Because mm-hmm. I know I can move him for a 24 first. So now all of a sudden at the 607, I had people offering me a 24 first. I could have done it right then, but I got two 24 seconds to move back. And I know when August comes around, I'll get a 24 first for Chubb. And my punt is still on. I took Nick Chubb knowing that I, he will never play a snap for my imaginary team. Yeah. But you got to take what the value is there. I think the cascade that I made originally was like I went from Javon, another one that I, I went from Javante Williams at 505, got a first, moved back to 608 for Pollard, and then moved back again for Aaron Jones in the ninth. And people are like, Dad, why did you draft Aaron Jones? It's like Aaron Jones had an extremely efficient year last year. And when people forget, because Dynasty is so cyclical, when they want to win again, they're going to prefer an Aaron Jones. So then I'm yeah. going to flip him for more capital. And you just keep working in that area. Because I think... At, most years I look at it and I'm like, I got to compare when that guy's on the clock. So I'm looking at the 107 and do I want the 107 that's going to appreciate in value or that veteran who's currently worth the 107 and nine times out of 10, it's the pick, you know, and I know you have, you've been diving into this class like big time. I think every single one of these picks in that first round is going to increase in value from where we are now until when we get past that draft. And I'm just excited to see where it goes because the part I'm seeing is everybody wants picks one, 101 through 109. I have done two startups, and I have gotten 110 through 202 exclusively to myself in both drafts because nobody wants them because they're like, oh, well, well, the 110, this isn't 2022's 110. This is 2023. Like, have some understanding of what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's the area where – we have to remember the draft hasn't happened yet. So one thing I actually want to talk about, because I went over this earlier today, was that when you're in a draft taking draft picks right now, not specific rookies, those draft picks have way more value than if you were to take a specific rookie. Because you get to make the decision of who the most valuable player is at the time of the rookie draft. So you have to think about the 110 right now. You're like, ah, shit. Okay, the top six are gone. I bet Charbonnet, Johnston, and Addison are going to be gone. I don't want to take Sean Tucker. I don't want to take Josh Downs. Like, whatever. The 110 still has an incredible amount of value because there's going to be a player drafted higher than we think. There's going to be a player who runs a 4-3 at his pro day out of nowhere. There's going to be a guy who ends up going to Buffalo or Kansas City or the Eagles running back. Like, this is going to happen. So when you take these picks, you're getting all this upside that you don't realize later. Um, I looked at the ADPs last year from before May, and these are just in the, I did 18 startups last year, which is too many, but let's ignore that. So I did 10 before the rookie draft and eight after the rookie draft. The ADP of the 110 last year before the rookie draft in my drafts was in the late seventh round. After the rookie draft, it was in the late fifth round. Wow. So I just got, if you took the 110 in April, in, you know, in March, you just gained two rounds of value for doing absolutely nothing. That's absolutely beautiful because I've been taking them everywhere. The thing that I, I look at is like, we, you and I have talked about it off air, but like right now we, we talked about the 110. Right now the 110's going at uh, 6, 6'10 in that area, yeah. right around the same area as George Pickens, Pat Fryermuth, Kenny Pickett. And it's like, 
Okay, so if I'm in that spot and I want Pat Fryermuth, which is fine value, and George Pickett, which is in that same area, or Kenny Pickett, now I take the 110, I'm open to everything, right? Yeah. I can take I can take whatever, you know, whatever position I need. I can trade it. Everyone wants rookie picks. Not everybody wants Pat Fryermuth for their build. Not everybody wants, you know, like that's not the perfect example. But when you take a player, even more so like when we talk about the 106 right now, the 106 is going sandwiched in between Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams. Mm. You know, like that pick is going to increase in value. But when I take that 106, I could take a quarterback could fall. I could take, you know, it's going to be, it could be Levis, it could be JSN, it could be Gibbs. It could. I have options and everybody's going to want to move up and I can move back from 106 to say 110 and add value as opposed to what? Are you, how far back are you going to move off of Devontae Adams and get that kind of value? Yeah, basically right now most players are priced at their ceiling uh, with the exception of the injured guys like I was mentioning earlier and most picks are placed at their floor, right? Mm-hmm. We were talking earlier today, uh, I think it was 202 or Rashad White was our discussion. Right. Listen, yep. best case scenario, Rashad White doesn't have someone drafted above him. I mean, they're going to sign sign or draft someone. So let's say it's just Damian Harris or Tank Bigsby in the fourth round, right? That's the best case scenario. And at that point in time, Rashad White might be worth the 112 or the 201, let's say. Mm-hmm. But if Rashad White does get any of, you know, Bijan, Charbonnet, Evans, Tucker, et cetera, drafted to his team, or if they go out and they sign a big, you know, free agent running back, then all of a sudden he's worth the two tens. So it, you just have to think about these picks are going to be undervalued and players are always risky. Players can always get injured. They can always get traded. They can always have someone else traded to their team. That's picks are just completely value insulated. And that's the way you have to think about it. The other thing I love about owning picks in the draft is that if you're in a rookie draft, people are going to be coming to you with picks because it's harder to be creative with player trades in a rookie draft. Let's say I had the 106 and JSN's on the board. I'm not going to be going to, you know, the Devontae Smith owner and trying to do that one for one because I'd have to go to every single team, look at a player who might be worth the 106. It's a difficult thing to do, but I might be going to the guy who owns the 109, 110, 111, trying to move back and pick up an asset. So when you're in the rookie draft, you really need picks to be in all the movement. And like we talk about as serial traders, the more incremental trades you make, the better because you're picking up little amounts of value every time. And you want to be in the game to be able to do that. Oh, serial trader makes it sound a little bit more like killers. I, I like the volume <laughs> trader. But I mean, I, I think I came to you three times this week. We were just talking and I was like, yo, do I take the the 110 or this guy? And then we, we talked about, we got to the 201. I moved back. It yeah. was the 201 or Ayuk. What situation? IU could be worth the 112 max. Yeah. But, you know, something happens there. Same thing with, with Rashad White and, and Bateman. And there's so many guys there where it's like you have to understand the fluidity of the pick. You have to understand that that pick can be something different. And I think that you hammered that home absolutely perfectly because I think a, a lot of people struggle with that. Like they just can't look at that rookie pick and know that it has value. It's, it- it's basically, would you rather have a $60,000 car or would you rather have $60,000? That's, that's right. the question you need to answer yourself in almost all of these spots, unless your league is ultra sharp and drafting picks as early as they should. But I've yet to be in a league that does that. So until I find one of those, you should be taking the $60,000 cash. Especially because as soon as you drive it off the lot, it's losing money <laughs> the, the entire way on there. Um, I, I'm really interested to see where 
those situations where those those tiers are where you need to to move into you know mm-hmm. like we 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 talked about the early area i want to really concentrate on rounds 3 and rounds 4 because okay. i feel like rounds 1 and 2 are chalk you know like they're going to be pretty consensus but when we get to 3 or 4 i think this is where you can really make some headway this is where you can really change your draft because some teams start to really get excited and try to win now, and they're trying to get McCaffrey in those areas, and other people you can tell where they're at. So a little bit about reading the room by by rounds three and four and how you start navigating from there. Yeah, so in every draft, I would love to trade my third – my sorry, my let's say fifth and sixth rounder for a third and a ninth, something like that, right? Because I'm wanting to get into that late third or early fourth range because that's where the real values are. As I mentioned earlier, I have a big tier from the 204 to the 310, Mm -hmm. which means at the 310, you're getting guys like T. Higgins, Drake London, Chris Olave, the 104, uh, Trey Lance. You're getting these players who could easily have second round value literally after two weeks in in September. Mm -hmm. So what I want to do is I want to get into that late third, early fourth range, and I want to get out of the late fifth range. Because in the late fifth range, what we have are we have all the running backs who have question marks, whether it's Josh Jacobs, Ramondre Stevenson, Tony Pollard. You have some of the wide receivers who you might be high on, a guy like Christian Watson or Jerry Judy. But realistically, are you that much more confident in them than Marquise Brown, 35 mm-hmm. picks later, or or Jahan Dotson or Rashad Bateman, you know, three and a half rounds later? You shouldn't be. So what I want to do is I want to get into the last of those elite level assets, which ends at about 36 to 40, depending on the draft. If guys like Travis Kelsey and Saquon sneak up in there, but I'm trying to get in that top 40 or so picks where the worst case scenario is I get, you know, Jameer Gibbs or Jackson Smith or Jigba. So I'm glad you brought that part up because I know it's a a trend now. I don't do a ton of them, but the three round reversals, you know, to really offset the the idea of that the 101 is worth so much more than the 112, given the fact that your third rounder is going to look something like, you know, Drake, if you're looking at that 301 range, you know, you're looking at maybe a Garrett Wilson, an Amon Ross St. Brown versus like 312. Is it as big of a deal as you know, saying that your tier goes all the way to 310, is it a big a deal where I see people, you know, I do all of our drafts Kentucky Derby style. So, yep. you know, you pick one through 12. I want some strategy in there where it's like you pick whatever pick you want, right? But I see people taking the 12 pick over, say, the three, the 103 overall. So in certain years, that's the right strategy. This year, that is really, really dumb. <laughs> Sorry to be so blunt about it. But first of all, you need to know that there's someone in your league who will give an absolute haul from a Holmes Allen or Hurts. So if you can get one of those picks, I never intend to actually take the player, but just know whether it's at the draft or months later, you're going to get a haul for one of those top three quarterbacks. And then like you were mentioned, even with the third round reversal, picking at the end of the second, that's a bit of a damage, right? Because you're missing out likely on guys like Watson, Kyler, Prescott, guys mm-hmm. who might fall, especially those wide receivers. But given the picks now, you might be getting the 103 or the 104. You might be getting Kyle Pitts. It's not that much of a drop-off. And the drop-off from the 301 to the 312 is literally non-existent. I mean, trade value-wise, there's a drop-off. But you're looking at, you know, Garrett Wilson versus T. Higgins. Yeah, you should have a preference. I prefer Garrett Wilson. But in reality, there can't. there's not that huge of a difference when you're talking about the difference from Patrick Mahomes to Deshaun Watson from the 1-1 to the 112. So, 
I'm all in favor of getting earlier picks now, especially if it's a top three pick. Now, the question gets a little bit more interesting when you look at, you know, 108 versus 111, something like that, because I do love the value knowing that if I'm at 111 or 112, I can go Kyler and Deshaun basically every time, just because mm-hmm. that's why, or, or Kyler and the 101, something like that, just because I know that's where they're going. My, my tier drops off at the 15th pick. So if I can get two of those, I'm pretty happy with that, but I would absolutely not give up a top six pick if I could get it. Yeah. And you want to try to get up into those first two rounds for your quarterbacks because this is this year even more so than there there's such a we talked about a super flex super shortage but it's like there's such a divide right now you know you get your Mahomes Allen Hurts Burrow Herbert Lamar Fields Lawrence Kyler Watson you know that area then you get your Dak Tua and Lance and then you don't have a quarterback go for four rounds plus until you start to get the cousins and Daniel Jones. And then there's another two, two round gap. So I I find that I, I talk to a lot of people and they're like, dad, I'm, I'm scared, man. I only got, I only have Lamar Jackson. That's my only quarterback after four rounds. What do I start doing it? Just be patient, right? Like I see so many people start stretching and moving Kirk cousins in that same value tier as like the one Oh six. And I talk to them. I'm like, would you trade the one Oh six for Kirk cousins? If you didn't feel like it was, you were desperate. The answer is absolutely not. You know, like you're not trading. And then, so take the 106 and then on draft day, we'll play around with it. But so many guys are really stretching for that quarterback position, especially after, you know, Tua and Lance. And, and, you know, shameless plug for my Patreon. I, I got the 106 at pick 36 right now. And I have Kirk Cousins at pick 73. Okay. So, yeah. but you're completely right. There's a scenario where Kirk Cousins, I've seen Kenny Pickett go over Stephon Diggs, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen uh, uh, Geno Smith go over guys like Debo Samuel. It's just, you don't need to be making these moves. It's okay. I never draft for need. I yeah. don't even consider it when I'm in the draft. Because it just there's going to be so much trading going on between now and August or September when you actually need to put a lineup together. You should be taking advantage of other people's needs. So one of the things that I've noticed in startups is tight ends go way too late. It's an absolute mm-hmm. joke because no one thinks about tight end. It's the last position they fell. And there's always, you know, six or seven people in the league who don't want to spend up on a tight end, which you know, isn't the smartest move, but that's okay. And guys like David Njoku, who I have valued as a seventh rounder, end up going in the 10th and 11th round. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I stack tight ends. There are some leagues that I'll leave. I'll get Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard, Greg Dulcich, David Njoku, and Darren Waller. And you know what? People are going to come to me over the next five months asking for a tight end. Right. And even though I have zero quarterbacks right now or zero running backs more often, that's okay because I didn't overdraft a running. I didn't draft Dalvin Cook over, you know, uh, Dallas Goddard. And then if I feel like it in two months, I could trade Dallas Goddard for Dalvin Cook in, you know, two seconds or something. So yeah. you, you got to be position agnostic as well. It, it's tough to do, but you just have to try that. Well, And, and the tight end position, it's almost – similar to that quarterback position, right? You want to get up into that elite or you want to, you want to wait, you know? And I think the Kelsey Andrews and Pitts are going in the third Goddard Kittle and, and Hawkinson are going in that four or five. And those guys get difficult, but I, I find that Fryermuth keeps falling back. Waller, Dolchich, Schultz, Njoku, Nkonkwa, Komet, McBride. I mean, like what I say is if I don't get one, if I don't get that top three, Stack up who you have there, start to play around a little bit. And I think you're right. I mean, tight ends become a value because everyone's really focusing in on those, those other positions. 
Yeah, and one of the things I want to mention as well with the with the one year punt is that a lot of people are saying, you know, I, I don't want to take Traylon Burks because I think he's going to have a big year, and I don't want him to screw up my one year punt. Don't do that. Yeah, I mean, the year <laughs> that, that Traylon Burks would have to have in order to screw up your one year punt, you'd be thrilled about rostering him. So. Right. My strategy with these one-year punts, first of all, I'm position agnostic during the draft, but before the season, what you do is you shed one position. The best position to shed is running back. The second best position to shed is tight end. Before the season, if you get those to zero, you will absolutely have the least potential points, which I know is how most dynasty leagues do their draft order. If you do not, last year I had several leagues where I did not roster a running back and I had five top 20 wide receivers, and I was way behind on potential points because you're getting a zero at two spots. So that's how I would focus on doing that from a positional perspective. I love that because that's I preach that all the time. I mean, when we talk about the rebuild process you know, or the year one punt, you create that positional void at running back. Yeah. Last year I had, I mean, it was disgusting who I had at running back. And people were like, why aren't you drafting a running back? And I was like, and are you you know from 17 legs last year 14 in the in the first second or third and then three of them I got the 101 and all the ones I got the 101 okay I didn't have a running back but guess what now I got Bijan you know what I mean like we're in a situation where that's how you create that void stack around those young quarterbacks those young wide receivers and I see a lot of people when they're doing their year one punts Mike where they're like not getting a quarterback and I say you have to have the pieces around it add the tight ends late because Right now, aside from Andrews and and Pitts, you can buy any tight end you want for a first-round pick. Like, I mean, Kelsey is in the right situation, but the rest of them you can get for – I bought Dallas Goddard for the 111 today. And I feel like you can buy those type of players late. That's the final piece of the puzzle. But don't be afraid to not have a running back. I mean, we don't – if you're in a year one punt, you're not competing till next year, right? We talk about t- teams not having sexy rosters right now. If you looked at those rosters, and I can send them to some of you guys because you've asked, they were trash. They were wide receivers, they were quarterbacks, no running backs, and almost every single one of them I have the 101 and the 105, and you better believe I'm going to be taking Bijan and and Gibbs. And now all of a sudden I went from absolutely horrible at that position to stacked. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm looking at one of my one-year punts right now. I got two Atlanta quarterback. I got Amon Ra, Drake London, Christian Watson at wide receiver. And then I got six first round picks this year and four first round picks next year. That's, you know, I got my two quarterbacks with upside. I got yeah. my three wideouts with upside and I'm going to supplement them with 10 first round picks over the next two years, including the one one next year. Cause I, my best running back is JD McKissick who I'm looking to flip. So, so that, that's how you got to build stuff up. Um, and, and one of the things that, you know, talking about running backs in particular it's just by far the most volatile position. I mean, you look at a quarterback, Trey Lance hasn't played in two years and he still has top 40 Mm -hmm. status. Meanwhile, Jonathan Taylor had a slightly down year and he dropped from the 105 to whatever, the 210 that he's at now. You look at even players who had career years like Josh Jacobs, Ramondre Stevenson and Tony Pollard. They can't get above the fifth round in startup value because they're such risky assets playing on the franchise tag. Maybe their team drafts Bijan Robinson, right? Like, the running backs are just so risky with mm-hmm. no floor and all of their upside, which they have is production upside. Like if you drafted Josh Jacobs last year in the sixth round, you got a year of RB one production. That is awesome. 
but his value barely increased. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing a one-year punt, you're only looking at value increases and you're not looking at production. So that's why you want to avoid running backs and take these high upside wideouts, these backup quarterbacks, these backup running backs, and the athletic tight ends like the Greg Dulcich, David Njoku's. I am blown away at Trey Lance's value right now. I'm seeing right now he's going late second, early third. And he's also going in that same range as the 104, 105. And I just feel like it's it's riskier. You know, you're, you you can reset the clock and get Richardson, get Stroud, get Young. And and it gives you a much better opportunity. You know, I feel like tr- the ceiling on Trey Lance is fantastic. The floor is much lower than any of these guys of, of what kind of situation they're going to be put in. Another thing I like to do, and now we can just kind of spitball, you know, we, we were yeah. kind of scripted having fun there. It was like, so today, you know, I drafted Cooper cup and the end of the fourth. Cause I was like, Hey, I think I'm going to be a, a pretty solid team. Cause I already had taken at that point. I had fields. I had uh, Jamar chase, Brees hall and, Drake London. So I'm like, okay, I'm feeling really good. I'm trying to push my picks up. I think I can take cup here and flip him. But I was like, see, once these guys start to establish where they're at, then you look at these teams that are win. Now you see those guys that are always trading up that are making moves that traded their 24 first that drafted Derrick Henry that, that drafted Joe Mixon that are in that area. And I, I looked at the one guy and I was like, I've ended up trading Cooper cup for what ended up being Jamison Williams in the two Oh two. Do I like Jamison Williams? Not necessarily, but that kind of value is is the what you look to do sometimes, you know, and you can flip guys when you see what their direction is. I mean, I feel yeah. like so many dynasty owners are are like, oh well, I'm win now, so I have to take this player, or I'm in a punt, so I have to take this player. Value is value in March, right? Like it's not locked in that I had to keep Cooper Cup throughout the entire season or until I figured out where I was at. So I, I want to just encourage people on that. Like, don't get locked into it completely. I mean, take the value where it lies. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you do make a good point about, you know, there are certain players, guys like, you know, there's really 10 to 15 high leverage assets who only three or four teams in the league want. So mm-hmm. we're talking your cups, Kelsey's mm-hmm. Adams, Adams, McCaffrey, those types of guys they're really only going to be three to four teams who are going to pay market price. So one thing that you want to do is if you take a guy like Cooper cup, you do want to move him early because Mm -hmm. if you tried to make a trade with that person that you traded with now, I bet he wouldn't have taken Jamison Williams or the two Oh two because he's going to win now. So by you trading for those picks rather before he's made them, you're able to have the flexibility to make better choices than he would because or maybe not better choices, but just choices that fit your build better. So right. if and that's what we talk about moving up in that area, right. because I want to move up from 412 to 308 and get Drake London. Yeah. And then, you know, there, how much of a difference is there really? You look at Adams and Cup, they're going in rounds four, right? Yeah. They're going in the fourth round. But then you look and you see Keenan Allen going in the 10th. You see Amari Cooper going in the ninth, Mike Evans going in the ninth, DeAndre Hopkins going in the ninth, and how much different is the longevity of their career and what they're going to give you at this point? Because sometimes you have to look at what is this player going to do for me? I mean, yes, Cooper Cup could play till he's 32, 33 years old, but on the flip side, so could DeAndre Hopkins. And right now they are going nine, eight to nine rounds or at least seven rounds different. Yeah, and guys like uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Amari Cooper are good shouts there. I, I know that... I would definitely advocate 
for building young, but there have been some drafts that I've gone win now. And that's because I have had other owners who are so committed to going young and I end up with, you know, Aaron Jones in the 13th round. And Mm -hmm. I just can't say no. If you are building older, which, you know, it is a strategy. First of all, all I would ask is don't build old and then quit the league. Cause I know that's what a lot of people do as their strategy. That's not dynasty. You're being a scumbag that's playing redraft. But if you do want to go older, which is totally okay, I would not pay up. Travis Kelsey's the exception because he is just an absolute stonewall tight end one. But otherwise, I'm not paying up for guys like Cooper Cup. What I'm doing instead is I'm taking a, the 105 or I'm taking Devontae Smith, even if I want to go win now, because then I can go trade him for more product for several productive players later on. And it's not until the kind of seventh to 12th round where the high upside players are really gone. And that's where I'm choosing to take a guy like DeAndre Hopkins instead of a Kadarius Tony. That's mm-hmm. where you can make the win now moves. But early on, you're just giving up way too much value and way too much flexibility. There's only going to be one or two teams that even could trade with you. If your first, you know, if your second through fourth round picks are Christian McCaffrey, Travis Kelsey and Cooper cup. Right. And it's okay. Like that's a stacked lineup, but you need to have some more flexibility than that. So if you're going to build old, try to stay as young as possible early on. And then, you know, you're going to be able to supplement your team with guys like Derek Henry, Aaron Jones, Amari Cooper, et cetera. Right. And you, you always get worried about that guy where you see him take McCaffrey in the second. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, th- then they're taking old guy after old guy after old guy. And you're like, this is, this is a little scary. You know, it might not last, but to your point, when you're late there, I mean, i I call it, I hate it, but I hate it called like Nico Collins syndrome where you take Nico Collins over Amari Cooper because you're like, he's 22 and he's 28 yeah. last year in smash five. In the ninth round, I had 9, 12, and 10 – or no, wait, I forget where it was. It was like they were really ages. It was like in that 8, 9, or 9, 10 rap. I got Amari Cooper and DeAndre Hopkins because people were worried about the suspension with Hopkins and that Amari Cooper was leaving and there was no quarterback there instead of taking guys like, you know, that where they were stretching on. We always try to find those, those upsides, those diamonds in the rough. But honestly, guys, once you get to like round 14, you know, these are these guys that are going to be third-round picks, these guys that are really – tough, tough sledding for them to get into an area where they're going to increase a ton of value. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that. So in my startup rankings, the end of my round round 12 is where I would kind of designate the last players who I think have true upside. And that's where I have Darnell Mooney, Sky Moore, and the pick two two eleven and two twelve. After that, like you said, you're looking at third rounders. You're looking at Nico Collins is in that next tier. Kareem Hunt, Elijah mm-hmm. Mitchell, uh, Dawson Knox, these are guys who are going to help your team, but that's really where the cutoff is of none of those guys are ever going to finish top. I mean, Knox is a tight end, so let's ignore that, but really top 12 in their position. None of them are ever going to get to top 10 in startup value because that's what I'm really targeting is that value. So the fir- I try to get, as I said, as many picks as I can in the first 10 to 12 rounds. And in the late rounds, all I'm doing is taking upside because mm-hmm. I have people asking me all the time, should I be taking, you know, Dawson Knox or a Conquo. You got to take a Conquo because there's no scenario where Dawson Knox becomes a top 10 startup value. Meanwhile, a Conquo could get up to the fifth round for all we know. Mm-hmm. He's got that upside. So you got to be targeting pure upside. And I love depth. You got to have depth to win a dynasty league. Hopefully, you did that in the first 10 to 12 rounds by having those extra picks. But even if you didn't, 
you you got to be shooting for upside because if you do get a guy that hits, if Mark Andrews goes down and you took Isaiah Likely, all right, now you can flip him for a first, right? If you take pick 301 instead of an older guy like, you know, DJ Shark, you're going to benefit if that 301 has one good week and now you can flip him for a 24 second. That's what you got to be doing later on in the drafts with the obvious exception that if someone falls and, you know, you get Tyler Lockett in the 16th round, then you got to take it. I love that. We didn't even cover that or anything. We were just kind of spitballing and we both had that same area. Mm -hmm. The other thing I always like try to, tell people is I see a lot of people really stretching for that third quarterback they really try to push themselves up for like for instance Jimmy Garoppolo goes in the 12th round you know could he start yeah sure you know like is he going to give you a ton of value no you know like it's not going to be there where Sam Howell's going in the 15th and guys like you know this year is going to be there's going to be a lot of fillers a guy a lot of guys that are going to be you know potentially having to fill in spots last year in rounds like 18, 19, I was taking your Gardner Minshews and Tyler Huntley's packaging them with a third and getting second round picks. Like, so you can get value, take some high upside backups rather than pay up for, you know, a guy that's just going to keep you in a cycle of mediocrity where it's like, what are you going to do with Jimmy Garoppolo? What are you ever going to get from him? You know, like nothing. It's backup quarterbacks, backup running backs, athletic tight ends, and really that's it because yep. if, if a wide receiver is available in the 15th round he is more than likely a roster clogger right and like our 15th it. round is it's paris campbell it's you know miko hardman exactly. kyle phillips as opposed yeah. to running backs in that area where you look at that's deontay foreman michael carter you know uh even like they're not absolute studs but they're guys where deontay foreman was filling in in, in, and giving you 15 I, I, points, I got you know? second round picks for Deontay Foreman. You know, I, I got second round picks for Jalen Warren. Guys yeah. like that. Alexander Madison now is, you know, a prospective free agent. Like that. Those are the. Yeah. You need to take people who could have some upside to flip them down the road. Because taking a guy like Paris Campbell, who yeah, he could fill in deer flex, maybe get you eight points on a bye week, but that's really never going to be worth anything. And all I'm doing with my dynasty teams, and and that's a lot of what I do at Dynasty Diagnostics, is creating value. Because ultimately, you can flex the value however you want, but you want to build your bottom line to be able to decide, okay, now is the time where I can strike. It's the same as those... uh, uh, for the basketball fans out there, if you look at what teams like the Thunder are doing, where they're just compiling assets, right? They're just, mm-hmm. they'll move back, they'll move back. And eventually, you know, there's going to be a guy on the market where they can trade three first and three swaps and strike. And now is my time to win. Absolutely. That's what you got to be doing in Dynasty. You're building up the assets, you get younger and more valuable. And then ultimately, there's going to be the aging team that they decided, you know, it's time to rebuild. They got a bunch of 25 year old studs. You can get them on the cheap and then you're winning for years. I love it, man. Hey, this was fun, you know, and I hope you guys got a lot out of this. You know, when I, I love to pick Mike's brain a lot. We, we talk a lot about how we do startups, how we do trades and everything like that. And guys, I encourage you to check out his Patreon. I encourage you to check out ours. Ours right now, $3 gets you into the Discord, gets you access to myself and everyone else that's in there. You know, and there's other tiers. There's tiers all the way up to, you know, that, that you can have myself sit down and do a, a you know 15 minute strategy session with you every quarter and really kind of go over your teams and help out so i mean we got a lot going on but mike's got even more tell him a little bit about what's going on with you yeah absolutely so my patreon's been flying recently uh really enjoying it i'm doing detailed reports on all of the rookies um 
And most excitedly, I'm, I'm also starting a podcast soon. So I know you and I have talked. We're going to have a lot of collaboration going forward. But keep a lookout for the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. We're going to be going in-depth on every rookie. going to have a lot of uh, analysts on that you some of whom you might recognize going, you know, 20 to 30 minutes on each rookie. Um, in addition to that, I got my data model up. I got all my film grades out. Uh, you know, just check it out. Give me a follow on Twitter and uh, hit me up. I, I love talking to all y'all. I love it. Thanks again for tuning in, guys, and enjoy the process.